Coming up, I'm going to teach you how to actually command respect. And then we're going to review the 10 worst paying college majors. And we'll even go further and look at mid-career majors and what they pay. Let's go. Helping you win at work and in life so you make more money and experience more meaning. This is the Ken Coleman Show. All right. How to command respect and why commanding respect is so valuable to you in your professional growth. Now, let's just lay out how earning respect gets twisted and it becomes very manipulative. Notice I said command respect for some of you. Maybe that felt a little strong-armed, but it's not. What you're thinking of is demanding respect. And many of you have never seen an authority figure, maybe outside of your parents, actually command respect. What you've experienced is someone demanding respect. Those are two different postures. Most people demand respect. I deserve this. That posture, that statement is the spirit of demanding something. I demand respect. I deserve this. Well, every human being, yes, deserves to be treated with dignity. Okay? So on a human level, yes, every human deserves to be treated with dignity. However, in a professional capacity, there's a difference between dignity and then earning respect on the job, earning respect from people that you lead. And that's where we're going to dive in. We're going to have a very clear look at what we're talking about here. So we've established the baseline for quick review. Most people demand respect. They don't command it. I'll tell you the difference. And there's a difference between what we're talking about of commanding professional respect and then just being treated with human dignity. Okay, so here we go. Respect is made up of two ingredients, if you will. The first is excellence. The second is honor. If I respect someone, I respect them because they are exhibiting excellence in their life, in their work. They live an excellent life. They do excellent work. And they are proving that with results. Excellence is what they produce. And so you respect the fact that they do excellent work. But honor is how they do excellent work. So they are treating people with dignity. They exhibit humility. They act with integrity. That is honor. An honorable person acts with humility integrity, and treats people with dignity. So those two elements together, acting excellent, creating excellence, but doing it in a way where you honor others, you are an honorable person. Those are the two elements that command respect. Excellence and honor. So that's the formula. So what happens when you exhibit excellence and honor? People now respect you 
because they admire you. They admire the excellence. They admire how you treat people, the honor. So now they respect you. They will follow you. They will reward you and thus respect begins to build, 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 build. And the payoff is influence. That's why we want to be respected because as I've asserted on this show a hundred thousand times and I'll continue to assert it, every human longs to make a difference in the world. We just want to make our mark is how Alex and I talk about it in our content meetings. People want to make their mark. And so that's why we crave respect because we inherently know that when we are respected, someone has now given us the opportunity to make a difference. So it is respect that fuels or unlocks, if you will, opportunities for influence. How many of you know that you can't truly influence somebody if you don't have their respect. I mean, I got three teenagers. I'm reminded of this in my house every day. If my kid is acting in a disrespectful way, I can tell you my ability to influence them is impossible. I can manipulate them. Hello? Anybody? Anybody else paying attention? I can manipulate my kids despite their attitude, but I cannot influence them when they are being disrespectful. All right, it's just human behavior one-on-one. All right, now that's how we command respect. We act with excellence, we produce excellence, and we honor people. Now, here's where most people get the whole respect thing wrong. They demand it. That's different than commanding. See, a commander, using the military term, is... His troops follow him or her into battle. Why? Respect. If they don't respect that commander, they will desert the commander on the battlefield. But anytime you talk about people willingly following a commander into battle and risking their life, that is about respect and respect only. Well, A lot of leaders demand it. Your bad leaders, your bad parents demand. What does demand look like? Well, it's excellence, but with dishonor. Commanding is excellence plus honor. Demanding respect is excellence with dishonor. You've gotten to a position of authority and outward respect because you have produced excellence but you're dishonorable in how you got to excellence or you're dishonorable while being excellent and then ultimately people don't respect you so let me give you two how about two hollywood actors to kind of illustrate this now that i've unpacked this first let's go with tom hanks there he is america's favorite actor right Look at that guy. He just, everybody likes Tom. And Tom has universal respect. Why? Because he represents the formula. He's one of the greatest actors of his generation. But everything you read and everything you hear about Tom Hanks from people who know him and work with him is that he's one of the most likable guys in the world. He's honorable. All right? So, 
That's his reputation. I can already see somebody coming in the comments because everybody wants to disagree. They go, oh, well, what about when he did this? Here's what I'm telling you. Tom Hanks' universal reputation is that he's excellent at his craft and that he's a nice person. And so Tom Hanks is one of the most respected actors in the world. Now, let's give you the converse. Let's throw up Alec Baldwin's. Look at that guy. God bless him. What's going on with Alec? Well, he's an excellent actor, but he's dishonorable. Started with the voicemail where he called his daughter a pig, where he beats up paparazzi. He tries to demand respect, and he hasn't gotten it. Tom Hanks commands it because he's excellent and honorable. Helping you get unstuck so that you can become unstoppable. I'm Ken. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Thank you so much for being a part of this growing audience. If you're watching on YouTube, would you please subscribe to our channel and then share a clip or a show? You're the greatest marketing strategy on the planet, and you've chosen to watch, and I'm grateful for that. Help us spread the word to somebody that you believe could use the message. And then if you're listening via podcast, Give us a follow. That's the new thing. Follow us and give us a five-star review, please. And then share an episode with a friend that or family member that you think will be encouraged by it. Thank you so very much. Okay, in my hands, uh, I've got a CNBC article. And we're going to cover the 10 worst paying college majors five years after graduation. And then the 10 uh, worst college majors as it relates to mid-career. So we're just going to kind of follow this progression. And boy, this is going to just give me more evidence, Alex. And I, I'm going to refrain from saying I told you so. By just saying that, I'm going to refrain from saying it. Okay. College majors that pay the least right after college. And so these are the top 10. Okay. And this is from the New York Federal Reserve. Uh, did this analysis. Uh by analyzing median salaries five years after graduation. So here we go. Uh, Number one on the least pay is theology and religion. Now, uh, this would be an example, several of these, you see the list there, uh, where just a four-year degree is going to stick you in this, this pay scale. But a lot of these, unfortunately, the way the system is rigged, and I do mean rigged, you got to have a graduate degree to go along with this. So, for instance, if you just come out with a theology and religion degree, then you're going to take that a couple of places. Maybe you teach at a faith-based, you know, uh, high school. Maybe you are entry-level ministry. Uh, Alex, I'm I'm curious, because you came from the church world, if you get a theology and religion degree, and that's all you get, and that's why the salary is $36,000, is that an entry-level pastoral staff role? I would say like maybe seminary, something like that, but yeah, I don't don't know if you really need to have like the four-year right but my point is is you'd have to go get the seminary to get more than 36 on a probably on a church staff right 
Yeah, probably. So that's what we're talking about. So I, it, to me, it feels rigged, right? Even in the church world. And I love what you were saying, Alex. You're like, at the end of the day, you can perform the role. You can perform the role whether you have the degree or not. Is that true in the church world or is the church world holding steady? Yeah, 100%. There's a lot of church planners, so they, they yeah. have their own okay, good. thing. All right, next is social services at 37000 That's number two on the worst paid degrees five years after college. And again, social services is another example here. You get the social services degree, and you're going to work in a governmental job, maybe a nonprofit. Those two are the first two that pop to mind. And again, these are entry level, and there's just not a whole lot of revenue to support these things. So it it, it, it kind of forces you to go to the next level with a graduate degree. Family and consumer sciences, thirty-seven thousand, same bucket. Psychology, thirty-seven four. Again, you get the psychology degree just to get the ticket to go to grad school to become the counselor and a licensed counselor. So this is a this is one of those degrees like engineering and science where you've got to have the degree to play ball. And I, and I've said before, when 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 society dictates that the degree is the only way or the best way, you got to play. That the, the, those are the rules of the game and and I don't have to like it and I don't. But that's the way it's played. Next, leisure and hospitality, 38,000. So here's my point. Why in the world would you go get a degree for leisure and hospitality? I'd rather you skip the four years and the and the, and the student loans. And quite frankly, if you can pay cash for a leisure, leisure and hospitality degree, I wouldn't do it. You know what I'd tell you to do? Go start working in room service. Go start waiting tables and, and then part-time manager your way up the ladder. That's what I did in, high, in college. Alex, I was a manager of a restaurant at the Hilton in Norfolk, Virginia. Four nights a week, and the other two nights a week, this is during the summer, I did room service. I was learning a lot about the leisure and hospitality business, and the fact of the matter is, had I decided to stay in that role and do a good job, I could have worked in my, my way into management, folks. This is the truth. Why would you go spend four years, listen to me, folks, Four years. And let's just say the tuition is, I mean, this is just based on averages. Let's say the tuition is 20000 25000 a year at a state school, a fancy school, you're going to pay even more. Why would you rack that up in student loans? Or why would you pay that out in cash? The ROI, folks, is ridiculous. Now, some of you are going, Ken, you're always getting you're always getting on college education. No, I'm giving you an ROI exercise. Okay, so let's just say modestly we spend $85,000, $90,000 over four years, and you come out making in leisure and hospitality $38,000. What kind of moron goes for that? Now, everybody relax. I'm not calling you parents and kids morons. I'm saying you've been sold a bill of goods, and if you were out trying to sell that narrative to somebody, they look at you and go, you're an idiot. I'm going to pay 90000 to make thirty-eight. Oh, by the way, if you don't like that proposal, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. All right, let's keep going. Performing arts, 39000 Again, why would you go get a degree in performing arts? Why? Why would you do that? 
I, you know what I'd do? I'd work my butt off for two years studying under people, training locally, save up enough money to go to a major city or a city that's got a legitimate business and program and go work and work your way up. That's what I would do. And if that doesn't work, you know what I'd do? I'd move to New York City and work five jobs and I would mop the stage for a Broadway production for the sole purpose of running into all the directors and actors and everybody. That's what I would do. I wrote a book called The Proximity Principle. It works. You're crazy, Ken. That's crazy. No, it's not. This happens in Hollywood every day. Happens in Nashville every day. People move here, waiting tables for the whole chance to run into somebody. All right, let's uh, roll through this here. Early childhood education, 40,000. Elementary education, 40,000. Special ed, 40,000. Those round out. So we've got a, we've got a problem. Our American leadership in Congress and in the White House, they're all guilty because they're up there playing stupid political games with each other, lining their pockets, preserving their legacy, while we have teachers making, right out of school, 40000 being burned out, because they can't actually do the thing they've been trained to do, which is teach and teach the way they're supposed to teach. Helicopter parents and tone-deaf bureaucrats are killing our education system. Parents are putting so much significance in the grade their kid makes as a reflection on them that they're harassing, and I mean harassing, teachers and principals. To the point that teachers and principals are mentally, emotionally exhausted. School boards are circuses. They're not supporting teachers and principals. And so teachers and principals cannot lead, cannot teach, and then they leave. It's a dumpster fire, folks. We need wholesale reform while I'm on this bully pulpit so that teachers can teach the right way and prepare kids for a future not prepare them to pass a standardized test that helps a politician get reelected. oh boy I'm on to something We talk a lot about dreams and realizing visions here on the show. And uh, that's half the equation because you're going to have to fund it. And just as you have to see where you're headed professionally, you've got to see where you're headed financially to make all this come together. And so I'm a part of Ramsey Solutions. We have a world-class budgeting tool called Every Dollar. And it's going to keep you on track. Brand new feature in Every Dollar budgeting app. Uh, will allow you to stay motivated and click those goals off. It's called the Financial Roadmap, and you can see your progress and see the next step to take, and that's powerful. 
So all you got to do is fill in your numbers, your age, income, current savings. You get an idea of when to expect you hit your next big milestone. And folks, this is important for those of you that got to pay off debt or save some money to actually be able to fund your future. And the reason that I find that most people don't pursue that dream is because it seems so unattainable, so untouchable, because it's so intimidating. And what makes it intimidating is you don't see a clear path forward. And every dollar is the clear path financially, which can help you professionally. Here's the best part. Premium users already have access to this great feature, and free users can test drive it um, with a 14-day free trial. So go to everydollar.com slash updates. That's everydollar.com slash updates to learn more. Evan is on the line in Litchfield, Connecticut. Evan, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hello, Ken. And I can also second that every dollar is wonderful. My wife and I, we've actually used it after going through final Financial Peace University. Love it. We've used it every month for the past five years. Um, but yeah, I'll get to my question here. Yeah, <laughs> great. So That's awesome. Yeah, call. man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, so I, I've i actually been in a really strange situation. I was furloughed from work. Um back in October, the beginning of October. And it's been a roller coaster after we had our baby. And uh, I've basically applied to about uh, 350 places. Um, and How many interviews yeah, have a, you gotten? I've had about, uh, f- I'd say, 40, 42 in there. Okay. Well, that's, that's not bad. And uh, have you gotten past the first initial round in any of those 40? Yeah, yeah. So I have on, uh, I'd say about 10 of them, if I can go off my gut and that. Okay. And are you getting any feedback at all that is that is actually usable as to why you didn't get the job? Yeah, so I do inquire about that, and it's um, if, to me it feels like it's just the generic um, – yeah, well, that's that. That's not helpful. That's my whole point. When people just yeah. give you this whole, you know, whatever, you don't get anything really tactical out of it. Um. Yeah. Okay, what else do I need to know? Because I, I think I know what the problem is, but I want to make sure I know everything that you think or feel, and we'll try to dig into it and see if there's some truth based on what I'm telling you I think you need to do and why you're not getting hired. I think it's pretty simple. Is there anything else I need to know? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm looking high and low and I, let me ask yeah, you mean, this. Uh, Are you applying for jobs that you're actually qualified for or is it a stretch? Um, uh, it's definitely been a stretch because of the family I have with three kids. All right. Wife. Now there's our first clue. Uh-huh. You're applying for jobs that you admit are a stretch. So, if you think they're a stretch, then it stands to reason that the people who are interviewing you think that you may not be qualified enough, may not have enough experience. Am I right or am I wrong? Definitely. Okay. So this is a recipe for <laughs> massive discouragement, my man. Yeah. Because yeah, the other thing uh, I'm wondering, are you reaching out and are relationships recommending you? I mean, real relationships, people that you're either, you either are really good friends with or Mm -hmm. you are solid acquaintances with or either of those two relationships, the solid acquaintance and a really good friend, they're recommending you to somebody 
And so you're getting into the interview process with a really good head start. Are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Definitely. My whole network and the close people as well. I've been recommended and yeah, those. So that, so you're well doing that part, interview. right? Okay. So you're using the proximity principle. Well, thank you. The, sounds like, but the problem is you're reaching too high. You're trying to get on the third or fourth rung of the ladder and nobody climbs a ladder that way. So you've got to set your sights a little bit more realistically is what it sounds like to me. Tell me if I'm wrong. This isn't a mystery. So you and I got to work together to identify what's really going on. (laughs) Is that, it sounds like to me, that's our problem. Yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's a hundred percent the problem. All right. So where's the gap between what you were laid off or furloughed from to what you're searching for? Um, well, it's pretty big in my opinion because I really like architecture since I was a kid. Um, and I've been working in cells and project development, um, at a pretty basic level. So you got, okay, so let's, let's go through the facts. Okay, great. So you got furloughed from a sales job? Yeah. And what were you making? Uh, it was just shy of 75,000. Okay. And you've been applying for what kind of jobs? Uh, same project management sales and, um, yeah, like customer relationship type stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, so I thought you said you'd been, so why'd you throw in architecture? Cause I'm trying to figure out the gap here. So you yeah, threw out architecture. Well, Where's that play in? Well, the architecture has been interest. So more of what I find to be a passion. Yeah, but, I mean, you're not applying for those kind of jobs because you don't have those qualifications. No, definitely not. (laughs) Okay, so you're applying for similar jobs, Yeah, but they're higher up the ladder than you were on, correct? Yeah. Because we've established, you admitted that you're applying for things that maybe you don't have the qualifications or experience for. Hmm. So so because you want to make more money. Yeah. All right, so you just got it out of line. What you need to do is go get you another 75, maybe an 80, but you know you need to go get another job that you're actually qualified for and have experience for and then get in there and bust your butt and work your way up. So the income is going to come through you promoting yourself, getting promoted because you're doing incredible work and earning promotions as opposed to getting hired for a promotion. Because mm. my friend, you're what are you doing now for a living? I've been, uh, like, fixing small things for people, and, like, uh, we've been doing DoorDash occasionally, which has helped, but... How much are you making? basically been unemployment. Uh, It's, yeah, uh, to be honest, barely enough to get by. Okay, so why wouldn't you go for a job in sales, customer service, and project management that gets you back to 75? Because we know we we can live on that, and we get ourselves some momentum, man. You're discouraged. No, that's the thing that's been, You're stressed. I, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> You're right, and I've been definitely uh, battling that. Um, but I actually, to be frank, I've been looking for jobs that were even a less income that I was making. In. Okay, something I'm barely getting past. But something's missing. I don't understand. I don't understand yeah. what's missing, and I'm. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, the only thing I can grab onto is. Is your self-confidence um, is somehow coming across or your presentation, you're just not competing well. You've got experience mm-hmm. doing this. We're in an economy right now 
I don't know what it's like in Litchfield, Connecticut, but a salesperson can, can salesperson or somebody who could do customer service can fall over backwards into a job in Middle Tennessee right now. Yeah, there's something That's- missing from this narrative. So here's what I'm going to tell you, Evan. It's time for you to get up and get some grit because your family's life depends on it and you're in a dangerous place right now. If you keep trying to just keep your nose above water, you're going to drown and take everybody with you. Go get yourself a sales job. Thank you, Ken. Because, Evan, you can. But you better start acting like a guy who's got some experience, who's got some skill, and can take care of people because if you don't, you're not going to be able to take care of the people that matter most to you. My friend, I wish I could give you a rah-rah speech, but the bottom line is get some freaking grit and go do some hard things. Don't take no for an answer. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.